yo, yo, what up, podcast family? And shout out to all my soon-to-be subscribers. Welcome to Everybody Somebody. I'm your host, Jason Snow, and thank you for tuning in. Wherever it is you get your podcast, make sure you like this and subscribe to this. Show me some love. Now let's hop into this next episode. Yo, 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 man. Um, we back. I told you I was I was gonna come with another episode immediately. Uh, I was I was I was on my stuff, man. Um, I told you I'm trying to be disciplined. I'm trying to get back at it. And today I got a um a guy that I've been wanting to talk to for a while, man. He's actually an old college basketball teammate of mine's, my boy Jay Wise, man. What up? What's going on, Snow? Appreciate you having me, man. No doubt, man. Appreciate you hopping on, yeah. man. I um it's crazy. I don't know if you know, but and this is just, you know, the college basketball world, but we kind of was on a similar path. And I remember just back, I mean, this seems like a long time ago when we were at yeah. Mercyhurst together. <laughs> but um I basically I had went I had transferred two times before I got to Mercyhurst. And I know you had what you was at like, what Indiana what? State, then Illinois. Yeah. And then Mercyhurst, or you were somewhere before Mercyhurst? So when I left Illinois, uh, in order to avoid uh, another red shirt year, uh, I went down to a JUCO, and I did a year there, got my associate's degree, and then came to uh, Mercyhurst. Okay. So it was a long roundabout. I pretty much played at every level, two Division One colleges, of course, uh, very successful at Indiana State before they changed up uh, the coaching, they had coaching there, which uh, is one of the main reasons why I ended up going to Illinois. Red shirted that year, pretty much traveled with the team, worked out, but obviously couldn't play any games or anything like that until the following year. And then the same situation ended up repeating itself, you know, got some got some new recruits in, new coaching staff, everything like that. So everything that was agreed upon with the previous uh, coaching staff pretty much didn't work out. And so to avoid sitting out another season, you know, I ended up going to a junior college close to home, um, maybe about 45 minutes south of Chicago um, in Kankakee. Played for a great coach there, a uh, great man, all around man, a great leader. Gave me opportunity, played there. And from there, I was recruited uh, to some mates, to some Division One schools again, and then to some top uh, Division Two schools and ended up going uh, Division Two. And that's how I ended up at Mercyhurst. Nice. When you were at Illinois, was was Bruce Weber there or was he leaving? Yeah, Bruce Weber was there um, during my time there. And um, I was actually brought in by Coach uh, Tracy uh, Webster. And Dee Brown was a good uh, childhood friend of mine, point guard there. Played together in high school. So grew up on the west side of Chicago here. So he was one of the main reasons why I came there. Obviously, you know, they didn't have a scholarship for me at the time because it was late in the season um, of recruitment, that is. And so I ended up walking on there um, and making a team and walking on there and pretty much training, weight training, you know, cardio, everything, practicing with the team, learning the playbook. Now it's pretty much uh, my tenure there in Illinois. Man, that's yeah. crazy. Kankakee, isn't that where, um, what's the actor's name? Down in Kankakee? Yeah, Kankakee. I'm not familiar. I'm not oh, sure. Your boy, man. He was in Green Mile. Uh, let me see. Let me see if I can Google it for you real quick. Man, hey, I'm pretty Let's sure see. he went to Kankakee. Because you know, I don't know, I don't know if you know, you know I went to Highland. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We played. So we played we Kankakee. To play you guys. Yeah. Man. <laughs> That's crazy, man. But yeah, that 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 journey, a lot of people don't know, man, that there's that grind of, you know, transferring schools and, and, and coaching staff switches and going juco and trying to work your way back up to D2 or D1, man. It's just a process, man. And a lot of guys ain't really built for it. Yeah. Yeah. You got to have a different mindset, man, to play at all, you know, the different levels like that and be able to pretty much work your way through all the different challenges, different uh, teammates, different uh, coaching mentalities and styles. Um it's very easy to quit, you know, so your dream has to be strong enough for you to go through that. You're pretty much changing, you know, where you live at every year, to be honest, and moving yeah. around. Yeah, like so, like, like you're playing overseas or something. <laughs> yep, yep. So I was pretty much a journeyman, uh, just trying to get back on track. Yeah, you, you're not lying about the mindset because this actually makes me think about my uh, my first, like, first day, like, when school started at Mercyhurst. When I came in, I think, I don't know if it was, like, open gym, and I, like, kind of met all the team. And I like mm-hmm. for like you, like meeting you, like it was like a 
for some reason it like it, it made it made an impression on me not like a bad one but i, I think you were a senior it, so i was a junior because I, I had transferred in from highland yeah and i um i just remember you just being like like it was just a different level of like maturity and like the way you like kind of carried yourself it was like almost like businessman like you know like it wasn't like you were like thinking you were better than anybody or anything but it's just like you were just so so grounded into yourself and i yeah. just knew i was like man i don't know what he majoring in i just know <laughs> whatever it is after school like he's gonna get to it whatever it is man much appreciated T to be honest with you this uh the love and the passion for real estate i've always had that love and passion for business you know that that's always been uh my secondary to basketball of course to, to playing ball but I've always had that since I was a kid. And so that's been my, that was my focus in college, pretty much business entrepreneurship at, at every school that I attended. Yeah. And so I was continuing to feed that, you know, um, that uh, part of my brain, even while traveling and even while practicing with, you know, other podcasts I listen to, YouTube channels I watch, books I read. And so that, that hunger to win on that side, you know, once basketball was over, whenever that would be for me, whether it was after college or if I got a chance to go pro or whatever, whenever that time came, I knew I'd be ready for it. And so I wanted to take advantage of that when that time came. No doubt. So once, so once Mercyhurst was over, right, once you graduated, what, what kind of happened then? Did you, did you have a chance to, to play ball or anything, or you kind of just went straight into like the corporate world? No, man. I did have a chance, actually. Um, I came back home to Chicago, uh, started working out with uh, my trainer that I had here and pretty much did probably half a dozen, if not more, workouts across the country for the NBA D-League. Um, worked out for the Erie Bayhawks to have a chance to play for you know New York Knicks G-League team. Uh, stayed with one of our other teammates there uh, from Mercyhurst when I came up and uh, worked out for Erie. Uh, another buddy of mine played in the NFL at the time. He was with the Patriots. So I went up to Boston and worked out for their team as well. Went down to New Orleans, worked out for them. Uh, Indiana, worked out for their G League team, the Bulls G League team here in Chicago. So I had, I had a ton of good shots. Denver Nuggets, Portland Trailblazers, had a ton of uh, decent shots. And I actually thought I was going to make um, Portland's team. Uh, I played out of my mind doing that workout. Uh, so I thought I was actually going to get, get drafted on that one. It didn't work out, unfortunately. I ended up knowing the coach, too. So I was like, oh, yeah, I should I should be good. I balled yeah. out here. Um, I'm in shape, you know, high basketball IQ. And he knows me. He knows my character. So I thought I would at least get a shot in it. Just didn't work out, man. It didn't work out. So what I did was I ended up getting, after all of that, I got invited to come over to Europe. Um, so I did a bit of traveling there over uh, Germany, Frankfurt, Germany, uh, then to Spain, Madrid, Spain, worked out for a couple of teams there, uh, Pula, Croatia, uh, and worked out for some teams there as well. I ended up getting a shot while I was in Spain. Um, got uh, played over there. I was about two weeks where I worked out over there, and, and they ended up wanting to sign me. And uh, we came to an agreement. Uh, had to pass a physical, of course. I was having some issues uh, with my knee that I tore up when I was at Mercyhurst. So, um, you know, they didn't formally sign me on the spot. We pretty much had like a handshake deal pending, you know, me passing a physical. So uh, when I was leaving um, Spain, came, got on the plane to come back to Chicago, pretty much to have a, you know, going away celebration with my uh, family and, and take a physical. You know, so the deal was pending on the physical. If I passed that and met all the requirements, then I, you know, ink the deal and that would be the start of my career. So came back home to Chicago to do that. Went, uh, went and uh, met with um, my ortho orthopedic surgeon and told him, you know, hey, my knee's been a little sore and swelling up a lot on me. You know, these past few weeks while I've been over here, you know, we, we need to take a look at this because I need to pass a physical so I can sign my deal. Yeah. Um, so we got, okay, got me on the schedule, met with him. Uh, his assistance and uh, he broke me the news. Hey man, uh, your meniscus is torn. Damn. So we're gonna have to go in there and operate on your knee again. I was like, Doc, we can't operate on my knee again. I, I I'm not gonna sign get this deal approved if we have if I have to have surgery. They will not sign me. It's not gonna happen. 
He's like, man, that's that's your only option, man. You know, I can try to give you, you know, the cortisone shots, the steroid or whatever your knees and, you know, but that'll only last for so long, you know, and you'll probably do more damage. And so at the time I was like, man, I've been, I've been chasing this thing after college for another two to three years, man. And, you know, traveling the country, traveling the world. And at the time, you know, I got a job right away to try to help me offset, you know, some of the costs of all the flights and hotels. So uh, I took a job with United Airlines, man. And so man. <laughs> the beauty of that, my flights were pretty much comped, if you will, wherever yeah. I flew. So I didn't have to worry about that cost. But everything else I was still pretty much taken care of, not to not to mention, you know, expenses back home, living expenses at home. So it came to a point where I was at that fork in the road and I was like, OK, you know, do I want to take the risk of allowing them to you know, cut on me again? Is that a smart move? You know, that would have been my third surgery. And I was like, man, you know, I want to be able to walk. You know, when I get older, play with my kids, I don't want to have any more issues with this. And that would be another year setback. Who's to say I'm going to get another shot, you know? Yeah. Or do I start leaning on my brain and everything that I prepared, you know, when this moment finally was punching me in the face, what would I do? And so I opted to not do the surgery. Um you know, because once they found out I needed it, the deal was the deal was canceled. The deal was yeah. off. So I was like, "Well, can I can can I play ball here and there? You know, it's fun. You know, with my kids or with some friends. If I want to play pickup, it's like, yeah, absolutely. But the day to day pounding that you used to playing in college and and trying to go pro, you cannot do that without the surgery. Yeah. So I tied the shoes up and and threw them on top of the line, and that was it. And uh, corporate America, you know, walked allowed me to walk in. Damn. That was the end of that part. So, you, so you have have you played since, or just kind oh, of yeah. like messed around? Yeah, yeah, I play pickup games with friends, and you know, some of these guys try to get me into different leagues and stuff. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you know, I just have fun with that, but nothing, nothing serious. No. Dang, man. Yeah. yeah. That sucks, so. Man. It's a part of the game, though. It's you know, you know, the younger kids now they don't play on the type of surfaces that we played on coming up. So it's, oh, it's, it's definitely different. Little to no playing on gravel, little to no playing on concrete and and tar. You know, I did all that stuff on the west side of Chicago, just trying to get better and play against the best guys in the city. And we we would play wherever we were, try yep. to make a name for yourself in the city and get an opportunity. Man, that's crazy. So once so once once you hung the shoes up, man, um, were you still with American? I mean, sorry, United Airlines, or did you go? I was, I was. So United had it, and they, I believe they still have it. At the time, I was. Um, they 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 would allow you to post uh, your your time. So if you were scheduled to work on a Monday or Tuesday, you could post your time or your day scheduled to work to a board, and any other employee that worked could actually pick up your time and work for you. So you never had to worry about that. So um, I did that a lot and I, I didn't have to worry about going into work while I traveled. So that was the beautiful part. And uh, when I came back, I started taking all my hours back, started working super overtime, putting some money away, you know, um, but I worked afternoon into the night, overnight with United. So what I started to do was look into getting hired at different financial firms because I know I wanted to go into that, into that realm during the day. So during the day I would, I would prepare, do interviews. Um, of course I did my resume cover letter, everything like that and started getting prepared to go into the financial services industry during the day. Then in the afternoon and night overnight, I would work for United Airlines. Okay. And so after a while, I ended up landing an opportunity that made sense to me. And I was working both jobs because I started at the bottom with the firm that I was with, you know, making a lot of cold calls during that time about, you know, insurance and financial products, investing in the stock market. And um, so I would do that. And if that didn't work out, I still had United as a fallback plan to pretty much give myself another opportunity elsewhere. But at that point, I knew exactly what I wanted to do, so I was pretty much determined. Like this is going to work. There is no other fallback. This is this is what I'm going to do, and this is going to feed me uh, to start my business and get into real estate. And that's what I did. So, for for a lot of some people aren't familiar with a, like a financial advisor. 
Like, mm-hmm. what is kind of like the the day to day jobs of a financial advisor? Uh, well, number one, if if you already have clients, number one, you you're maintaining you know their investments, staying up to date on any financial news as it relates to the stock market, uh, the Fed any changes in policy and the government uh, writing any bills that could affect, you know, the stock market and investment. So you pretty much have to be well-rounded in a financial sense or anything that can affect economics at any point. Uh, you need to be well-rounded in that. So for the most part, every morning I'm, I'm educating myself on, you know, what's going on in the market, Wall Street Journal, um, CNBC. I always encourage people to watch CNBC. You're not going to know much in the beginning, but after a while, some of the uh, vernacular will start to make sense. Some of the language will start to make sense to you. Uh, the more you watch, the more you'll learn. So pretty much for me, that's my morning. And then throughout the day, I'm, I'm talking to either a current client or trying to get a potential new client uh, to allow me to invest money on their behalf, just based on their goals uh, for when they want to retire. Um, how risky they want to be with their investments or how conservative they want to be. And I build out financial plans based on their specific goals. You know, if you want to retire at 55 or you want to retire at 60 or 45, you know, I pretty much do a full financial plan based on your assets and liabilities currently, um, your income currently, uh, any investments that you have and how you have them invested currently. I'll do a full analysis of that, the fee structure, everything. And let you know, okay, this is your probability of success based on the way that you're currently doing things. And I'll tell you, hey, we should change this, or I think this looks great, you know, based on what you've told me. But if you want to get to point A or point B, this is probably how we should change it, just based on your level of comfort. And I do that all day, every day, and then uh, revisit the plans early and often, communicate early and often with the clients to make sure that they're on pace. Nice. Okay. So, yeah. yeah, that, that, um, so, so financial advisor is your, that's your full-time job. And then, yeah. you know, I see you on, on Instagram, you know, you make some posts <laughs> of just the work yeah. that you're doing with the real estate, man. Like kind of, kind of explain to me like how, how you really got into the real estate. Well, real estate started for me at a, at a young age, man. Um, on the South side of Chicago, my, my dad's side of the family is, um, his father and uh, mother i would actually spend a lot of time with as a kid and uh, on the weekends or you know a few t- a little bit throughout the summer or i would go to the south side of the city and spend time with my dad's side of the family and my grandfather would take me with him you know him and my grandmother owned um, apartment buildings throughout the south side and uh, he would take me with me with him as he went to renovate them or collect rent uh, and this is the 90s he's out collecting rent uh, fixing anything that needed to be fixed. Um, so I learned a lot just watching him and seeing what he was doing. And that's where I believe that it started. Um, and then it came to a time when I was in high school, a good friend of mine, his uh, his grandfather was uh, the recorder of deeds here in Cook County, which um, is the county for Chicago. And I ended up working for him uh, at the Cook County recorder of deeds. So where you record you know, plats of survey and deeds to properties and everything like that. So I've always been real inquisitive. So when I worked at his office over the summertime, it was like my summer job every year. So when I was like 16, it was one of my first jobs. Of course, it would be in something related to real estate, right? So I asked him a ton of questions being, the you know, the head guy working in government and just seeing him, you know, going to work every day, and different people that would come into the office. And then I started to notice a pattern. There would be some of the same ethnic groups of people coming in week in and week out, month in and month out, buying properties, selling properties, the same groups. And then it got to the point where it was the same faces and the same names. And I could see a pattern of what they were doing. And so I you know, built a few relationships where a few guys where I could ask them a few questions. And then one guy just pulled me to the side one day. and was like, look, kid, every dollar that you're making here, you need to be dumping it into real estate. Everything that you see me coming in here and, and doing every day, all these properties you keep seeing me buying is because I put my money into real estate and it's rewarding me. And it'll do the same thing for you a lot sooner if you take my advice and start looking into doing this now. And next thing you know, you'll be on the other side of this aisle 
filing plastic surveys and deeds every single week or every single month for a new property that's going to pay you an income stream. That conversation stuck with me, and I ended up doing my first deal within a matter of, of a few months after that at 16. So 16 was the first time you actually went out and bought some property or a house or did yep. a flip? It, it was a it was a family a family member of mine. Um, I ended up looking up their property and um, sharing some information with them about their property they were unaware of. They technically they didn't even own the property, and they thought they did. And uh, I informed them that they didn't own the property, and that they would need to do some work to get that fixed. You know, the the owners, the previous owners that uh, owned it, it was actually still in their name somehow, some way. I don't know what they did wrong. But uh, they ended up digging up some records and, and finding the records. And sure enough, the, the sale hadn't been uh, filed, which Man, is so crazy. funny. Yeah. And it was uh, it was a family house, you know, back from the 1950s. So, you know, a sibling bought it from the parent and so forth and so on. So times were different back then. I ended up uh, helping them out and getting things uh, getting things on path the correct way and um, also helped them do some renovations on that. So I, I consider that to pretty much be my, my first uh, deal at that time, you know, do some renovations on the property, get it filed in their name, and, you know, pay me a nice, uh, nice sum to help do all that. Wow. So since that's your first, like your first dealings, do you still have anything to do with it? Or you kind of just, once you did that, washed your hands with it and just moved on? Actually, no, uh, I recently went back and, and bought that very same property from them. Wow. Uh, here recently. <laughs> yep. So I uh, plan on keeping that property in the family um, and passing it on to my children someday and allowing it to pay them an income as well. That's what's up. Yeah. That's dope. <laughs> so I, I know like for a lot, a lot of people involved in real estate, they always have like a story of a property. They just, they knew they were going to make money off of it mm-hmm. and just the opposite happened or vice versa. They didn't think they were going to make money off of it and it just changed. Like, has that, has that happened to you? Like how, how long have you actually been in the real estate game now? Well, full time, the way that I am now actually started my, my business in 2016. Um, so just about five years now where I went like full time doing it seriously. Um, I'm working a full time job and running a, a full time business where we're doing flips and rentals. Uh, myself and my wife. So I, I would say five years, even though I did that first deal when I was 16. Um, I really wouldn't even consider that a, a full deal because I didn't own the property, but I got paid to do pretty much similar work as if I did. Yeah. So honestly, I would say about five years now, which um, doesn't feel like that uh, long of a time. So I got a lot more to learn still. Dang. Yeah. Man, it, 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 time definitely flies, man. It um. So how many how many properties? I mean, if you don't mind sharing, like how many properties are you involved in right right now? Like whether you sold or still making an income off of? Yeah. So right now we're working on. Uh, we've got three that are currently under renovation right now, um, and we're sitting on a few other properties right now that pay us an income right now. So, uh, and three is a lot for me. Honestly, because it's just me and my wife. It's not a lot of people that we're using to to help manage everything, and we're our own we're our own general contractors. So we hire out all our subcontractors to do all our work, um, and we keep though we build those relationships over the years uh, that we've been doing this, and we pretty much work with the same crew, so everyone knows what to expect. But you know, we're budgeting and, and balancing um, all of the the different expenses that go in go out. You know, to cover utilities, to cover materials, to cover labor costs and delivery and making sure one sure one guy is staying on task and on, on time schedule so that, you know, he's not slowing down the next guy. So it can become a lot to juggle. In fact, I was doing a little bit before this call, um, talking to one of my electricians, just making sure he's getting things lined up so I can get heat um, installed by my HVAC guy this week because it's supposed to get colder, colder here in Chicago. So. Is your, is your wife, I mean, this might be a silly question, but is your wife like in real estate or is she like an agent or she, what does she do? No, she actually works in the medical field uh, okay. for one of the major hospitals here in Chicago. So, um, no, she works a full nine to five job, um, outside of the business as well, just like me. 
but uh, her her main task in the business itself is, is she's the head of you know all the the marketing. She was one of okay. the people that was pushing me to get on the IG and make posts, and I need to do a YouTube channel. I need to do a teachable course because there's a lot of people that want this information, and it's going to sound different coming from me. Yeah, and so a lot of the a lot of the videos that you see recorded, she does when we're out in the field checking up on the properties or looking for it. She'll she'll do all the recording and she'll do all the editing. Like that's her skill set: the photography, okay. the photo, and everything. That's what she enjoys. Nice, that's dope. Yeah, cool. What <laughs> um yeah is it so is is the overall? I know it's hard, man. Like like you said, like both having nine to five jobs mm-hmm. and then doing this as well is is the is the main goal. You know, at the end, probably is like you know to leave the nine to five job and just solely make your income off of this. Yeah, uh, to be honest with you, but the the field that I'm in now, um, being a, a financial advisor uh, with the, the largest bank we have in the states, probably one of the largest in the world. It is top five in the world. I've pretty much created another passive income for myself. Yeah, and so it's it's you know more strenuous up front when you're setting things up and getting it going, you know, but but over time it's more and more passive, kind of like a, a multifamily apartment building. So for example, you know, I set up an account for you as a client of mine, you know, we do a full financial plan, but you don't necessarily need to talk to me every single day or every single week. Um, I'll talk to you if you need something or there's a major change in your life or something like that, where we should be changing up your investments. You know, if you're getting married or you're looking to buy a new house or anything like that, but it's not like an everyday thing. So it's, it's less work for me, but it pays me a monthly passive income, like a house or an apartment building. And so as I, as I acquire client after client, you know, we set up our schedule for how you like to like for me to communicate with you, whether that's giving you a call twice a year or once a quarter, you know, each client's going to have that, you know, you end up with a couple hundred people, you know, paying you a few thousand dollars, um, every single year. That'll add up over time and create a nice passive income. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's another. <laughs> it's it just washes, rinses, and repeats. Yeah, man, that's that's definitely like just just hearing you talk. It kind of like it makes you like want to go back into time in college and right. kind of just like <laughs> reprogram like everything you thought you were going to do or thought you wanted to be. Yeah, it's like man, I need to go this route because I know this route will kind of lead me to where I want to be. Yeah, absolutely. One of the um, one of the, the major classes that stuck out for me from you know, all of the schools that I visited, there were, there were two, actually. One was economics when I was at Illinois. Um, and then the other was, was a business class, my final business class at Mercyhurst. I had to do a, a, a huge uh, dissertation on what type of businesses I would want to start. And out of them all, you know, which one would I try to attack the most? And I had to do a business plan on that. The funniest, the funniest thing for me when I was at uh, Illinois, uh, this is what, 2006, I lost my grandmother that year. So I was, I was away a lot trying to help plan everything and making sure my mom was okay. So I was traveling back and forth from Champaign-Urbana a lot to Chicago, which is a two hour drive south of Chicago. So I missed a lot of classes and that economics class was 8 a.m. class. So you know, if if we t- we had a game in, in Arizona or we were playing North Carolina or wherever we were, I was traveling there. And let's say we get back at, you know, two in the morning, three in the morning. I'm not going to lie. A lot of times I missed the class. I overslept. Yeah. You know, so I, I wasn't disciplining myself to get up to get to that class like I should have, even though it was my passion of being real estate. And I, I ended up, this is the first class I ever failed. I ended up failing that class. Go figure. Uh, economics. Um, and the guy that, that taught the class, the, the professor, he actually wrote the book as well. So you can only imagine how hard this guy was to talk to and try to, you know, get some assistance in a class with 500 students. <laughs> we literally had an auditorium for this class where it was 500 students in the class. And, and, you know, that was the way that it was taught. And, uh, so for me to go into finance after, you know, failing in economics classes, mind-boggling but that was kind of like my shake-up to say hey get refocused discipline yourself in this realm so that you give yourself an opportunity i've always had 4.0 3.5 3.8 type gpas my entire life 
uh, in school. And so that one, that really bothered me. And um, so to, to come back and recover from that, I ended up taking a, a summer class um, and ended up, you know, passing it, coming back and passing that. So I was able to recover from it and move on. And then fast forward a few years later at Mercyhurst, now totally understanding, you know, macro and microeconomics, I'm able to write a full business plan on how, you know, I can start a business and how it's going to succeed and, you know, do a SWOT analysis and everything like that, that comes in those reports and, and be able to raise capital and talk to private investors and so forth and so on. And that passion just burned even further from a few, a few years before failing, picking myself up, actually learning the material that I didn't understand strongly enough. And then finally putting that material to use to then go and start a business and have some success. Yeah. And so it's funny you, you mentioned all that because, you know, a lot of people have conversation about like, can people be successful without going to college? Like Absolutely. I say, yes, depending yeah. on like Mindset. what you're like, what you're angling at towards like trying to be mm -hmm. like for you. Like, I mean, th those classes right there, I mean, it's, that's right up your alley. That's where your mindset was already going. Yeah. Um, and it's all about really just per like, you know, like you're saying, staying disciplined, staying focused and really like taking in everything that, that you know they're teaching you um so you can translate over into an actual business or an actual plan or whatever it is you're trying to get it get started absolutely i agree with that 100 percent. in fact um with the internet now man i'll be honest with you a lot of the stuff you know that that colleges teaches sometimes not useful a lot of the times yeah. if i'm being honest um wasted space is taking up brain space that you don't you won't necessarily use in the real yeah. world just just being out here and graduating you know from college what 10 11 years ago most of that stuff you're not going to use to be honest so i mean if you're a disciplined enough person where you can go out and, and make some type of income to to uh, take care of yourself um but you're disciplined enough that when you're not there doing that, that you're teaching yourself whatever it is that you want to get into, whether that's trading stocks, learning real estate. There's so many other things you could do to learn it from, you know, YouTube to, you know, buying a course that someone else created that teaches real estate and actually going out and doing the work yourself and gaining the experience. Um, I think you'll I think you'll fare a lot better than taking out hundred thousand dollars student loans. Um and then, you know, accruing interest on those loans the entire time while you're in college, you know, finding out, you know, it's going to take you a longer, way longer than you thought to pay it off once you graduate. No doubt. Yeah. It, um, my brother, <laughs> I mean, so, so I, I mean, I, me and my younger brother, we were blessed, you know, to have scholarships through college, me basketball and him football. Yeah. My oldest brother and my, and my, and my youngest sister, you know, they, they had to go to student loan route, man. So, I mean, I, and my wife, so mm -hmm. I, I hear the horror stories, man, of, of that so yeah if um if, if that route isn't i mean that route isn't for everyone and like you like you just like you just said uh you it's definitely ways around it if you're disciplined and you're focused man because like <laughs> you ain't lying man on youtube it's so much stuff i've learned that i didn't even really didn't i won't say i didn't i didn't learn or didn't know in college but it just wasn't like with my major i was like business communication is like a lot of the business class, like the accounting and macro and micro and everything, I, I didn't take economics. Um, but I just learned, I, I, if I want to know something, I Google it, go to YouTube, and I just watch somebody just talk about it. And that's that's how I learn it. It's like, <laughs> you don't even really have to pay those hundreds of thousand dollars to, to learn something that's right there for free access. What, um... I, this is random. I saw it like it was posted. This is this is probably a, a, a year ago or maybe two years ago. I had saw you on uh mm -hmm. like on IG and you was driving around in the range. You were talking about like renting it out or something. Like what's that about? <laughs> yeah. So uh, basically, I you know I had some some naysayers out there that you know didn't think that um, a lot of the stuff that I had been showing people privately was possible. And so I decided I wanted to document the process of, of how to do what I told someone else to do using uh, business credit, you know, and making sure your, your, your personal credit was kept pristine. Um, and so what I wanted to do was record as much of that as possible authentically. 
you know? Yeah. Uh, so, so what I did was I showed my real credit scores. Um, no, no doctoring whatsoever. I showed, showed that. And then I, I absolutely told him what I was going to do. I was going to go to, uh, to Carlotte. I was going to get a brand new hundred thousand dollar vehicle using my uh, credit scores. Um, but putting it under my business and then in turn, taking that uh, vehicle, putting it on Turo and turning that into another, a liability into an asset uh, for myself and for the business. So what I did was use my 800 plus credit scores, went in and got a 0% interest loan for a brand new Range Rover. Then turn around and put the car on Turo to rent the car out for more uh, than what the monthly payment would be on the car. So that was basically so, like a car, car real estate. Yeah, pretty much. So, I mean, if you get enough of those out on the road, like I know another guy has got probably 40, 50 of those on the road, you know, it's little miniature houses paying you, you know, a couple thousand dollars a month in cash flow after all your expenses is paid. You know, if you do it enough and you, you know, you set it, you set them up right. Uh, your marketing is done correctly. Uh, you pick, you have good pictures up there. You're not trying to overcharge. I mean, it could be a very lucrative business. Yeah, I had, I had, cause I, I had heard about Turo. I was like, man, what is that about? And then once I watched yeah. your video, I was like, oh, that's what that's about. Yeah, yeah, I learned, and all of this, some of the, a lot of the stuff that I was showing, I actually, I didn't learn it in college. I, I learned it from from watching other guys on YouTube and. You know, being having that natural inclination to just ask questions before judging, um, reaching out to these guys and asking genuine, authentic questions. Okay, how do you do that? You know, when I see someone that's, you know, doing better than me in in any area, you know, I'm I'm not a jealous uh, hearted person at all. My mindset is always, man, if he could do that, I could do that. So let me find out how. Let me talk to him. Let me see if I can add value to him or her in any kind of way. Um, so that I can learn what they're doing. You know, it makes no sense for me to pay to go to college or anyone to, to pay to go to college, but yet you won't volunteer and learn another skill for free. It, it's mind boggling, but I see it all the time. People are, you know, they're willing to pay a hundred grand, 80 grand, 40 grand to go to someone's college, but they're really not focused. They're, they're partying a lot. They're, they're missing classes. But then if you ask them, Hey, this guy makes a million dollars a month on YouTube. Why don't you go volunteer for free for him and learn how he's doing that and how he's setting that up for six months? He's making a million bucks a month. No exaggeration. Why don't you see if there's something that he needs you to do and go do it and learn everything you can from him. And next thing you know, Pandora Box is, is, is open for you to pretty much mimic that, but do it in your own way and, and make that same money. But you have very few people willing to do that. Um, so what I did was I wanted to try try that out. And the guy I learned it from was his name, CEO Matty J. Um, he did the CEO T-shirts and stuff like that. And uh, this is another business that he, that he did. And uh, my barber actually introduced me to him. He was having a conversation about the guy. One day he's cutting my hair. I looked him up and started following him on, on Instagram, learned the process. I didn't even have to buy a course, just everything that he was delivering to me for free. I felt like I had enough experience in the business world. I was like, okay, I can go and try it without even even wasting any money. You know, my credit was already good. I had already, you know, had a high credit score for years from, you know, repairing and learning about credit on my own. But I was like, okay, I'm gonna give it a shot. In the worst case scenario, you know, I've got a, a car that that um uh, my real estate can pay for, you know, I'm still going to cash flow and, and pay for it for my real estate if it can't pay for itself. So I'm still not paying for the car either way. And uh, so I went in and put that plan in motion. Man. So, so are you, a, um, do you have a, are, when you're in, when you're doing your dealings in real estate, are you an actual agent or are you just going out getting properties? Or do you no. have to be an agent to be able to do that? Like, I, I don't really know. No, yeah, you don't have to be an agent at all. I do have a few agents that I work with, um, pretty much the same two to three agents over the last, you know, five plus years now. But you don't have to be an agent to do it. 
Um, I found out a lot of times, you know, I'll get better deals because I'm not an agent because more, more agents are sending me deals and wholesalers are sending me deals. Um, because I'm not an agent and I'm looking for myself and I've been proven to, to close a deal. Yeah. So they're literally flooding me with texts and emails of, of possible deals to underwrite and see if it makes sense for my style of investing uh, early and often. And so a lot of times if you're an agent, they'll try to, some people will try to keep you away from certain deals because they feel like you'll try to steal it from them. Gotcha. Um, so it's been, it can go either way. You know, you do have access to the MLS and stuff like that. Uh, if you're an agent and, and other perks as well, but for me personally, I, I rather not add that additional thing, uh, to my plate of, of becoming an agent. Um, in fact, I can't, the, the, being a financial advisor, they won't, uh, the firm I work for, uh, won't let me become a real estate agent. They feel like it's like a, a conflict of interest conflict. or something. Yeah. So, however, they do allow me to have my, my real estate business. So I'm grateful for that. Man, okay. That's dope. <laughs> I, was, I was wondering how that worked because I, I figure, I mean, what they say, you know, the money talks. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you don't have to be an agent if, if you can get the properties and do what you're going to do with them. At all. It doesn't really matter if you have that license or not. Right. At all. I mean, if you know how to underwrite deals and, and you know how to, to find quality deals online, you're going to be just fine. You don't necessarily need to be an, uh, be an agent to be successful. I'm sorry. So yes, yeah, so I was going to, I was going to say, so, so kind of walk me through like mm-hmm. just nothing like, it don't have to be anything crazy, but just like a simple, like a, a property you saw, you wanted to, you want to, you want to buy it, you want to flip it, you need to renovate it. Like what are kind of like the steps into doing that? Uh, well, you got to know what, what area you want to be in. First and foremost, you need to know the economics of that area. You know, what's the average, you know, age person that lives in that area? You know, what are their interests? You know, are they, are they in their mid-30s, late-30s? You know, are, is this an older uh, area where, you know, seniors want to live? You know, what, what type of entertainment's in the area? What type of businesses are in the area? Um, what's the crime rate like? And what's the school system like in that area? You know, can these people shop locally where their money circulates in their community? Um, you know, is this a high crime written area where there's a lot of gang uh, gang activity and gunfire on a daily basis? Or is this, you know, every now and then thing or is it does it never happen at all? Um, and then the school systems, you know, can the can the kids walk? Can your kids walk to school? Is there a system that buses them to school, all the parks and, and entertainment for them? And then lastly, it would be. Uh, major banks, grocery stores, and entertainment, restaurants, and things like that for uh, the local uh, neighborhood to shop where they don't have to travel outside of their neighborhood if they don't want to. And we're not talking, you know, corner stores, convenience stores, liquor stores. We're, we're talking, you know, Starbucks, Whole Foods, Dunkin' Donuts, um, Bank of America's, Chase Banks, you know, Fifth Third Bank, PNC, you know, those type of banks, U.S. Bank, Wintrust. You know, are those banks in the area, um, hospitals in the area? You know, how does the school system rank? So you learn that part first of a specific area. Um, and then you take a look at the values of the properties um, and see what the average value of, of a single family home or an apartment building net operating income. You know, what does that look like in that area? What's the average income of the people that live in this area? You know, they make 40000 30000 or is this like a, you know, average income. You know, are these single people that live in this area or are these married families that live in this area? Um, And it never hurts to go and drive an area yourself and just see. You're interested. You saw a few properties in this neighborhood. Just go and drive at different times through the neighborhood. See what's happening. You know, are people, you know, keeping their lawns up? Are they raking the leaves? Is the grass cut? Is you know, the trash being disposed of properly or is it litter everywhere? Stuff like that. Once you know that and you get a feel for the area, then you can start to look deeper into the properties there. So you find an area first, figure out the economics of the area. That's where the the macroeconomics comes into play. When you see what businesses are in the area, you take their research because if Amazon puts a warehouse in that area, you know, Amazon's done their research. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
So oh, yeah. use that to your advantage because these people that are going to work at this warehouse, obviously the bulk of them are going to come from the, the near community. And so um, they want to have solid places to live for these people in the community. So if you see something like that or, or Whole Foods, you know, high end grocery store like that, um, the people that live in this area obviously can afford to shop at that type of grocery store uh, versus maybe an Aldi. Right. And so Whole Foods and Amazon has done their research to say, okay, the average income of the households over here are 80,000, 100,000, whatever it is. These people can afford to shop at our store. So we're going to place this store, you know, in this community. And we think that this store is going to be, you know, over successful because of proximity to the city and people can walk and drive and parking, everything. So when you see stuff like that, to me, that's an immediate green flag is what I call it for you to invest. Right. So you see stuff like that, then you go ahead and and you find the, the ugliest house on the best block. And that's the one that you buy. You know, if you've got million dollar homes on this block or half million dollar homes, $300,000 homes, whatever it may be. And this property selling for, you know, a hundred thousand because of ugly paint and, and flooring. And you can put in, you know, 50,000 to $80,000 worth of, you know, work into the property and turn around and sell it for half a million. You take that all day, all day, or you go ahead and still do that. But instead of selling it, to prevent, you know, taxes of almost 50%, you just refinance the property. It's worth half a million. You pull 70 to 80% of the value of, out, of the property out and you go ahead and rent it and take that equity that you now have in a form of a loan and go and buy another one, all tax-free. Yes, and and I, was, I was wondering like how that process was, is like, is it in the, in the long run, is it better to, and I guess it probably depends on the, the the scenario, but is it better to, you know, once you, once you, once you get the property, you know, you renovate it, put the money back into it, is it better to sell it or rent it out? I guess renting it out long run and kind of keep you that, you know, that, that income keep coming in, but selling it, unless it's like a number that just blows you out, like you just go ahead and just do it. I would say it depends. It depends on what your goal is. Um, you know, usually when you're when you're selling it, you're looking to get a big check to to do something else with up front and just be done. If a property's been giving you a headache or you feel like a, a certain area is going to be, you know, changing in the near future or whatever, and you want to just get rid of it, you know, you're going to have a different exit strategy. But for the most part, for me, um, as I continue to grow, for the most part, I'm I'm holding almost everything. So if I'm doing, for example, if I'm doing three flips, five flips, whatever it may be, you know, 90% of that I'm going to hold and 10% yeah. I might, you know, offload. I might sell it and, and take a, a nice chunk of change up front and do something else with it and, and take the tax hit on it. Um, but for the most part, that's, I, I would say each situation depends on you, what you're looking to do, each person. So what, so I know, for for some people, I know you talked about a good credit score. For so, what about just like you know the average American whose credit score isn't that great? Mm-hmm. Spouses may be great, but theirs isn't kind of. I mean, theirs isn't that great. Like, how do they, if they wanted to hop in, you know, this 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 way of trying to make a, a supplemental income or secondary income? How how is it is it possible for them to you know get loans, or is it just a harder way to do it? No, it's, it's definitely possible. And then one spouse should be helping the other. Um, you know, I tell people all the time when I'm, you know, consulting with them about repairing their credit um, on how to do that is keep the number one way is keeping what you have separate from your spouse. You know, if you guys are already married, don't do joint credit cards or anything like that, because if you make a mistake, it's going to affect the both of you yeah. negatively versus, you know, if the wife's got, you know, a bunch of credit cards and she's doing quite well, her credit scores, you know, phenomenal. But the husband made some mistakes and doing a little bit too much shopping then all that would have to happen, number one, is paying down those credit cards, right? But making sure there's no late payments. But if we can get the wife to add the husband onto a card as an authorized user, the husband would benefit from that credit history as well and immediately catapult his credit scores. Yeah. So that's one small trick for you to do it immediately. 
you're related. And then once your credit scores have recovered and you kind of got back on pace, you know, you can, the, the wife can take the husband back off that card or, or vice versa. If the husband did it for the wife, you can remove them as an authorized user once you've recovered. That way you're not harming each other yeah. if one person falls. So you can always uplift each other, which is, you know, the best type of relationship to have. Is there, is there like a, um, is there like a minimum credit score that banks will let, you know, give a pe- give a person a chance and I'm, I know I'm, it's a, it's a credit, credit score where banks are like, hey, we're not touching that. Mm-hmm. Like kind of like what's like the minimum is like, all right, well, we see you're trying to, you know, pay off these, your debt, trying to, you know, on time uh, payments. Yeah. Like we'll, we'll, we'll take a chance on you. Yeah. I mean, some banks are some banks are going to be more conservative than others and some are going to be more liberal. Um, you know, if I'm throwing a number out there, I say maybe a 650 or better. Um. And then a lot of times I, I'll tell people it's, it's probably best to go with the broker because uh, the broker is going to shop everywhere for you with, with one credit pool, right? And get you, you know, maybe five or 10 different banks that they actually call them through for you and find the best deal for you, you know, versus if you go to one bank and say you go to Bank of America, they're only going to offer you what, what they'd be willing to do based on their guidelines. But a broker's got five, six different banks that, he thinks would make sense and maybe one of them has a grant that they can give you or a specialized program that they can give you. So, yeah. you know, overall I would say maybe a six fifty. Um, if you're looking to get, you know, the absolute best rates possible, you want to be in the high sevens. Okay. Yeah. What, um, and that's a real estate broker, right? I take it you're talking about or just a broker in general mortgage. That's for, for Mort- getting Mort- an actual mortgage. Mort- mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, this thing, this thing, man, this is a lot. I, I love it, man. So I'm sitting here like just, just taking this all in because I, yeah. like I've, I've been just kind of just watching videos. And so my uncle, he, uh, he's actually into real estate he, for a long time. He would, you know, he had properties and he did it down in Atlanta, but now he's, uh, nice. he actually, he's actually does real estate for, for Chick-fil-A. Okay. Um, nice. So, I mean, he's, he's, he's corporate real estate, but yeah, he would always tell me, Hey man, like, you know, real estate license or just start thinking about trying to get properties and flip them because my, me, like this has probably started about four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. I was just bored one day, man. And I just start actually just learning how to, you know, build stuff. So my wife and I, our first house we were in, like once we, we moved here in Charlotte, like we, we remodeled our whole bathroom by ourselves, like, you know, tore the floor nice. up, tore showers up, you know, did all the towel, did all that work. So like, we kind of just like taught ourselves just going along the way. And my uncle was like, man, like you can use that talent to like start doing houses on your own. Like you wouldn't even have Absolutely. to pay people to do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And even if you did pay someone to do it, honestly, you wouldn't have to pay top dollar because you know exactly what needs to be done, what yeah. materials are needed. And so uh, essentially you can put a price tag on what you should spend on labor. You know what the material cost is the material cost. There's nothing yeah. we can do about that. Well, I take that back. There is. There's some sometimes we can get discounts and different things like that. But overall, the bulk of the money is going to be spent in labor. And most people don't know how to pretty much put a number on what they should be spending in labor for certain things. Yeah. And so they get taken advantage of a lot early and often. So, I mean, by doing that work yourself and seeing how long it took or, you know, how meticulous certain things are, you can put a number to say, this is what I'd be willing to pay someone to do this type of work because I've done it myself. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that. he's right. That's a, that's a strong, or you can just continue to do that on the nights and weekends and pay someone else to do other areas of the renovation for yeah. you and save the money. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, man, it's, I've, um, been really contemplating and thinking about it, man. Uh, just nice. trying to, create that income you know especially since we had a kid and just just trying to build something for her and any other kids we may have absolutely and you're doing it the right way real estate is the way man dang so (laughs) i know like you know you being from chicago has it has it been difficult to like once you get a property and you finish it up has it been difficult to sell it i know the stigma of everybody knows like you know chicago's bad and all this crime and it's all Mm -hmm. over the news but for people that actually live there and and have visited there and have family there and they know like, yeah, it has crime. Every place has crime. 
but has it made it difficult to kind of sell some properties just because of that kind of stigma or maybe people moving into the area that don't really know? For me, it hasn't. Uh, okay. Because honestly, I haven't. The property where I'm going, what I'm purchasing, I haven't bought in, in heavy crime ridden areas. This is kind of okay. one of the cardinal sins up front is to know what you're going to make on the property before you even buy it. Right. Yeah. When you're doing um, when you're doing your, your front end underwriting, if you will, in the field on the property. So, the, you know, the heavy gang infested crime ridden areas I've, I've stayed away from and being here from the city, you, you know what pockets, yeah. you know, and what's occurring. Um, you know, the areas that are being gentrified where you can, can participate, you can go in yeah. and participate on the swing up of that area. So you kind of know it. Um, but yeah, you're right. There's crime in every city. Uh, for the most part, that that hasn't hindered anything for me at all as far as being able to rent or renovate or sell properties. Now, there have been instances where, you know, I was touring a property or, in fact, the other day uh, where someone didn't know me uh, and thought I was trying to uh, vandalize the property or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you had to protect yourself. Yeah. So um, as long as you're prepared for that. And that's anywhere that can happen in any neighborhood. Um, yeah. But for the most part, I haven't had any issues on that front. Okay. Man. Did, um, like, so for anyone kind of like just hopping into this, like that listens to this and it's like, you know what? I want to get it in this. And, mm -hmm. and everything, I think everything always comes with some type of adversity, some roadblocks or difficulties. Yeah. And it's just about, you know, sticking with it and not giving up. Like what was kind of like the most, like, what were the roadblocks that you kind of face like early on that you kind of like, now you're used to them and you work your way around them now? Uh, for me in the beginning, man, um, believe it or not, it was, it was the racism. Really? Um, yeah, it was the racism wow. on, on multiple fronts. Uh, I know it's, it's gotten pretty big on the news now, as far as, um, there was, I forget what state and city it was where there was a, uh, an appraisal being done on the property and it was appraised for, couple hundred thousand dollars less when it was found out that it was a black uh, family that owned the property. And uh, when they called for another appraisal, they sent the black family sent, took all their pictures down and all their memorabilia in the house and sent in a white friend that they had to act like it was their home. And it was appraised for a couple hundred thousand dollars more. Uh, so I've had that, I've had that happen to me. Um, when I was going with my realtor to, to see properties um, that a white person may have owned, um, or any other uh, ethnic group, to be honest, quite a, a few different ethnic groups other than African-American owned. Uh, when they saw me come to the door, they, they wouldn't let me in. They were, you know, reluctant. And so they would ask uh, the realtor, so he's the one that's buying it. They, they've even said that in front of me. Wow. <laughs> and he'll say, yeah, he's a strong buyer too. And they would kind of give, you know, a little smirk, like, yeah, I don't know if I want to sell it to him. So I got that That's a lot. Crazy. And then uh, uh, the last one would be in, in the villages or the cities, the small little pockets where I'm buying the property when I'm going in to uh, get permits. Um, you know, process is a little bit harder for me. In the beginning, it bothered me. I just didn't understand it because being an athlete, you know the rule. If you can play, you can play. Oh, yeah. Right. And it doesn't matter if you're, you're black, white, Hispanic, Indian. Can you play? <laughs> that's it. And, and that's, you know, that's how I was raised. Um, and I come from a mixed family myself. So that I never I never judge people or looked at people in that in that manner. But I understand that, you know, everyone isn't going to reciprocate that to me. So how are you going to handle that adversity? And uh, being an athlete, I feel gave me a leg up. On, on that, you know, it's so much adversity as an athlete from, you know, sometimes referees in a game uh, that you're playing against another team and the referees, uh, you know, hecklers in the crowd. Uh, you might be competing against a, your, your own teammates trying to get a spot, you know, on a team. Um, and, and the coach might not like you, but you can flat out play. So. You're going to deal with a lot of that. And as an athlete, just overcoming that and, and working my way through a lot of that. You know, since I was five, I've been playing basketball since I was five. I think that helped and kind of gave me the, the mentality to persevere that the average person that isn't an athlete probably wouldn't normally have. 
So a lot of stuff that are that that would be a, considered a problem for, you know, other people, non-athletes, if you will, or you know, someone that hasn't had much adversity, they would probably fold. Yeah. And, and we wouldn't, as athletes, even consider it an issue. We're just like, ah, eh, that's nothing. Man, yeah, I definitely like the way you put that. Is gave me a different perspective to look at it that way because yeah, as athletes, man, you definitely go through adversity all the time. Every day, so, yeah. and just translate over into anything you're trying to do in the business world. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And um, I've used that to to my strength to at almost every turn. You know, to win a new client, to land a new job. Um, you know, like a, being a journeyman in college. You know, it wasn't a problem for me to change atmospheres and, and get along with different sets of people. You know, yeah. Kankakee is a lot different from Champaign Urbana. Even though, <laughs> even though they're only an hour apart, you know, it's a, those are two totally different environments, let alone uh, the west side of Chicago and Madrid, Spain. Man. You know, it's, it's, it's night and day. And then you, you think about Erie, Pennsylvania. There's another stark different uh, place than where I'm from. Yeah, so you, you have to be a chameleon and learn how to make it in, in, in any scenario that you're placed in. And so doing that consistently throughout my life thus far, I think it's helped me to be a well-rounded individual. No doubt. Yeah. Has, um, I know your wife is pushing you on, you know, putting more content out there, whether it's YouTube <laughs> or Instagram. Yeah. Have you thought about like doing any like seminars or like virtual classes for people? I, I have, I have. Uh, yeah. She's been, she's been on my case a lot about that. And I always say, you know, I prefer to be, you know, Batman or, you know, no one really knows who Bruce yeah. Hunt. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so I kind of take that, that approach, but the more and more I get out and, and share the little tidbits that I am sharing in the moment and more and more people reach out, I am seeing that there is a need um, where I could help change people's lives for the better um, and help prevent them from making some of the mistakes that I've made uh, and kind of be their, their, their coach from afar, if you will. So, uh, I do have a few things in the works right now. Um, I am putting together a, a course, a teachable course that people will be able to, you know, download, watch it from their smartphones, watch it on their iPad or their laptop about uh, real estate and how to get involved in that and how to structure a deal, how to find a deal, how to raise capital, how you should use the capital. Um, so I do have some things I'm working on for that. So that's that's coming soon. I will keep you updated on that as well. Yeah, when it man, please do, man. Yeah. I'm definitely interested, man. Um, oh, yeah, I remember that dude's name. It was Michael Clark Duncan. Oh, Michael Clark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I've been sitting here thinking, like, man, I know. Because I remember, I think when we went and played there, I was like, I think he was. I think it was a picture of him there. Mm -hmm. I was like, man, Kanky Kid. Yeah, that's crazy. Yep, yep, that is him. Yeah, he was born, born in Chicago. Yep, you're right. Man. Yeah. yeah, man, this this definitely been very informative, man. I really appreciate you hopping on here with me, man, and, and talking through this. And I know it's a lot more. You kind of just gave like a small sample size of just, you know, entry level type things. But I'm definitely going to be uh, getting back with you, man, and, and, and talking through more stuff because I want to definitely start dabbling in this, man. I know the, the and I know the market right now is crazy, but yeah, hearing uh, so I'm here in Charlotte, North Carolina, and it's. It's, this place is growing like crazy and it's always, you know, properties on lot for sale or just mm -hmm. open lots or people, you know, new houses going up or it's just, it's just wild right now. And I, it's so much untapped area that it's like, man, it's just like calling me. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you having me here too, man. It was an honor to do this. Um, I appreciate it taking some time out to, you know, help whatever, wherever I can for anyone that may listen to this, you know, I'm an open book. I pretty much will help anyone for the most part. So thanks for helping me to get the, the message out that, you know, oh, there's yeah. another, another voice in this space that, you know, you might be able to listen to that might get through to people. Um, if you've listened to other voices and, you know, you didn't quite understand or didn't relate to them. Yeah. Hopefully it'll be something different for me. Um, and we can get to work together. Yeah, man. It's, it's definitely, great to just see people you know our our, our skin complexion as that's <laughs> out here you know living positive yeah. lives doing Absolutely. things the right way man yeah 
Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's all it takes, you know, a little bit of blood and sweat equity there. And you look up a few years ago and pass and you have something to smile about. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. So, so where can the people, man, anybody that checks this out, where can the people find you at, man, whether it be Instagram or your websites or anything that you have going on, man, so they can find you? Mainly on, on Instagram right now. You know, my, my handle is J-Y-S, J-A-Y-W-I-S-E underscore official so jy's underscore official um on instagram so mainly you can find me there you can see the work that we're doing you know i don't have a hundred a hundred thousand million followers or anything like that just mainly a core group of people that that know you know my mission and i've helped them in some type of way and i'm providing value so mainly most of the content i'm posting is going to be financial related stock market related real estate related for the most part or any philanthropic stuff um, that I'm doing. So if that interests you and you feel like that can, you know, provide a, a benefit to your life and feel free to click that blue follow button. Yes, sir. No doubt. I'll be I, you talking with, uh, I'll be seeing you talking with Shelton, man. I just, this guy, <laughs> I just can't, man. Shelton, that's my guy. Man. I just can't take him serious. Like I know he's serious, but when I, when I think of him, like yeah. people don't really know him. Like we know him. Yeah. He just, he just like, he's a silly dude, man. I yeah. just, I'm sitting here watching you like walk through steps with him, you know, on, on a real estate tip. And I'm like, man, this guy is Shelton. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's my brother, man. It's like the little brother I never had. What, what no a, doubt, a great, a great human being, great man, oh, yeah. great person. Oh yeah, humble, one of the most humble souls you ever meet, um, and hard worker, man. No Nothing doubt, but love and respect for Shell. No doubt, and, um, he's pretty much one of one of my mentees right now, helping him to uh, acquire some property and, and get things in order for him uh, right now for him and his family, so he can he can pretty much take off on his own. So. I'm just teaching him how to fish. I'm just using my gift um, to make room and teach him how to fish. And pretty much he's going to be flying on his own in, in, in a short while. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, man. I'm be on the lookout for it, man. But definitely Absolutely. appreciate you, Wise, man. Um, you already know, man. Once I'm, I'm I think, uh, I don't know if we, I've been going to this with my job, man. So I'm a okay. youth uh, sports director, youth basketball sports director here in Charlotte, North Carolina for an organization called Pro Skills Basketball. Nice. So like we're all over the U.S., man. And we actually uh, like a, a partner, a flagship network partner with uh, the Junior NBA. So we, the Junior NBA always has their uh, like their annual uh, youth sports leadership like conferences in Chicago. So I've been there like two times for that, man. If they have it again this year and, I, and I'm going, man, I'm definitely going to hit you up, man, so we can connect, man. Absolutely. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Let's do it. Yes, yes sir, man. Well, all right, bro, man. Uh, stay safe out there, man. Keep grinding, man. Definitely appreciate you hopping on here with me, man. I'm definitely being in touch. All right, now. Take care. All right, bro. Thanks. Yo, hold up. This episode is over, but don't forget, go hit that like and subscribe button for me. Thanks for listening.